Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com. Welcome, everyone joining us online and in person. I just want to give you a time as we practice this rhythm of taking 30 seconds to a minute of silence and solitude to calm our hearts and the distractions in our lives, to be able to truly hear what God might be trying to say to us. So will you bow your heads with me? And we'll center ourselves. Let's exhale all the automatic ruminating thoughts, all the things that might be weighing us down. Let's lay it at his feet and remember the promise that he will be there to walk with us every step. And inhale the presence of God. It was the very breath of that God that created the universe. Past time. And he could make everything new in your life when we turn to him. Jesus Listens is the devotional we're using this year, which we have at the cafe, if you want to pick up. There are prayers when we have no prayers to pray because we're discouraged or tired or weary. It's a great devotional for those of us seeking to pray for about a minute in the morning. And understanding and believing in the conviction that Jesus listens, that when we turn to him. Merciful God, your steadfast love never ceases. Your mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. I desperately want to rest in this truth, but I'm struggling to do so. Today, the only things that seem endless are my problems and my pain. Yet, I know you are here, tenderly present, ready to help me safely through this day. Your loving presence is my lifeline that keeps me from giving up in despair. On some days when things are going well, I readily trust you. But when new and unexpected problems arise, trusting you takes much more of an effort. At such times, I need to remember that your new mercies far outweigh my difficulties. Great is your faithfulness. All God people pray. Amen. Let's welcome Paul as he comes just in a minute. But I want to pray for him together. Uh, If you just put your hands out to him. Paul's been waking up around wee hours in the morning. (laughs) Uh, as a consultant, like about four o'clock in the morning, two thirty in the morning, he's been barely sleeping, um, and so he's prepared this message and his heart's for the gospel. And he he told us, I, I said, "Are you sure?" He goes, "The show must go on." 
So uh, let's encourage him and pray for him right now. Father, we want to come today and pray for Paul. We just want to uh, pray for supernatural strength. Um, he already has a keen mind. So we pray that you would compound on that. And we pray, Lord, that you bless him as he speaks your words to us. So we thank you for our brother. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give him a 180 encouragement right now. Hello. Okay, great. Uh, okay, so first slide. <clears throat> so I can't believe it's already been October, but uh, back in October, I spoke about the Hebrew word Shema. Um, a word that, again, just to reiterate, uh, typically translated as to hear or to listen. Uh, but the word Shema, as we discussed, covers an entire process of hearing, reciting, meditating, and obeying. Um, so in Deuteronomy, God invites the people of Israel to engage in the process of Shema, uh, to hear the word of God, to recite the word of God, to meditate day and night, and to embody the word through obedience. And by doing so, the people of God became conduits of God's blessing. Um, they're able to participate in God's vision of flourishing to bless others. So that was a word in the past. Uh, next slide. We're going to talk about a connected word today. Um, another Christian practice that's mentioned all over the Bible is the practice of witness. Um, and there's two words, one in Hebrew and one in Greek, that are up on the screen. Um, so aid is witness in Hebrew. And martus is witness in Greek. So uh, we'll keep that in mind. Um, and we often hear this word used in church, and I'm sure people have feelings around this word. Um, lots of feelings. And <laughs> for better or for worse, we see good examples of witness and bad examples of witness either in the media or on our commutes. Um, we can't help it. And it's inevitable that we're influenced in some way by these examples that we've been exposed to. Um, but the practice of witness is central to understanding the storyline of the Bible, and so we can't go around misrepresenting. Uh, um, uh, we can't go around with misrepresentations clouding uh, this practice that is so uh, vital. And so today we're going to explore the word witness. Uh, we're going to go through some examples of what witnessing looks like in the Bible, um, how it's used, and in what context. And how witnessing and bearing witness is central to the Bible, uh, to the biblical narrative, and helps us understand the storyline of scripture. And then we're going to conclude with some thoughts on why our witness and bearing witness is important. So, next slide. What is a witness? Okay, uh, so there's several different types of witnesses that's used in the modern legal system. Uh, as Stu can tell you all about it, but <laughs> there's the expert witness, there's a character witness, there is a fact witness, and then there's the eyewitness. And I'm sure there are other witnesses that we came up with. But um, the most commonly understood form of witness is probably the eyewitness. An eyewitness sees an event take place, be it an accident, a transaction, or a marriage, uh, and bearing witness or giving their firsthand account or testimony serves as evidence or proof of that something happening, right? Um, so they're usually not the experts in a specific field. Um, like to attend, a med uh, to attend a wedding, you don't need to be a marriage expert, right? That doesn't make sense. Um, but eyewitnesses have special or proprietary knowledge of events 
of a case or the actions of a defendant, um, they, they have seen something happen. And it's crucial that eyewitnesses provide accurate responses to friendly and unfriendly questions alike. So the use of eyewitness uh, is also found in the Bible. And so we'll go to our first passage of today. Uh, next slide. So in the story of Ruth, uh, when Boaz buys land from Naomi's family, he calls together witnesses to see the transaction. Um, so that if there's a later dispute about the land, the witnesses can bear witness about what they saw. Um, so I'm going to just go ahead and read this passage. Uh, Ruth 4. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. The one took off a sandal and gave it to the other. This was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the next of kin said to Boaz, acquire it for yourself, he took off he took off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses today that I have acquired the hand of uh, the land of Naomi, all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. I have acquired Ruth the Moabite, the wife of Malon, to be my wife to maintain the dead man's name on his inheritance in order that the name of the dead man uh, may not be cut off from his kindred and from the gate of his native place. Today you are witnesses. Then all the people who were at the gate, along with the elders, said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you produce children in Ephrathah and bestow the name in Bethlehem. And through the children that the Lord will give you by this young woman, may your house be like the house of Perez, uh, whom Tamar bore in Judah. Okay, so now the point that I want to highlight and revisit is why, right? Uh, why does Boaz make the elders and all the people witnesses? Why does he do this? On the one hand, you can say that he's simply just sharing news. Um, he's essentially announcing his marriage to Ruth uh, and he's sharing good news. Um, but the primary or the typical use case for bringing together witnesses is to clear ambiguity in times of dispute and in times of pain. Witnesses are put in place because things go wrong. When terms are forgotten or broken, when relationships are damaged, when we're not in our right minds, or when people begin to question the validity of something happening, the testimony of a witness brings us back to reality to the events, the exchanges, and the promises that have transpired. Okay, But hold this thought. Uh, we'll revisit this idea in a future part of the sermon. But I just want to, to put that out there. So next slide. OK, so we're about to go through a lot of passages in succession. Uh, <laughs> but the point I want to keep, uh, want you to keep in mind is this. Through the entire Bible narrative, from the beginning to end, God calls his people again and again to witness and to bear witness about him to all the world. Um, God wants the people who see and experience him to, to oud or to bear witness. So aid is witness, oud is bear witness, uh, and to represent him to the world. And we find an example of this in Exodus 19. So I'm going to read this real quick. On the third new moon, after the Israelites had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that very day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. 
They journeyed from Rephidim, uh, entered the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. Israel camped there in front of the mountain. Uh, then Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him from the mountain. Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the Israelites, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the Israelites. So Moses went, summoned the, uh, summoned the elders of the people, and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. So the people of Israel personally saw and experienced Yahweh, God, um, as the powerful king of the nations that rescued them from slavery in Egypt. They just experienced this. Um, and he appoints this people to bear witness or to Ud to the rest of the nations about what they experience. Um, he calls them a kingdom of priests, representing both God to people and to people and the people to God, and connecting all other nations to God through their witness. Um, and this kingdom of priests uh, were called to bear witness to the rest of the nations about what they experienced, to witness and to bear witness of God's work, of God's hesed, or God's steadfast love. So similar to God's commands to Shema, to hear, to recite, to meditate, and to obey, God instructs us to pay attention and speak about him. Um, but this ends up being a very difficult task, as we'll see in the next slide. Next slide. Okay. Uh, you see, we have a problem. Uh, and, uh, and so Isaiah 42 says it. Uh, Listen, you who are deaf and you who are blind, look up and see. Who is blind but my servant or deaf like my messenger who I send? Who is blind like my dedicated one or blind like the servant of the Lord? He sees many things, but he does not observe them. He hears, his ears are open, but he does not hear. Um, yeah, so classic picture of Dory. And I don't know if you understand the other reference, but it's Memento. It's a movie. It's a good one. You should see it. Uh, <laughs> so not all witnesses are good witnesses. Um, and the Israelites were terrible witnesses. Um, even though they saw the miracles and the signs, and they experienced God as a powerful king that rescued them from slavery, they quickly forgot what they saw and what they experienced. Um, even though they received the blessings, they had forgotten what they had received. They had forgotten the promises that were made between them and God. And they didn't bear witness to what God had done for them, but instead they began to worship other gods. Um, see calf. Um, but what does... God do about this, right? Um, God raises leaders like Moses and the prophets and appoints them as chief witnesses. So the Israelites were supposed to be witnesses. They're bad at their job. God appoints chief witnesses, um, specific people among them. So these are witnesses for the witnesses. Uh, and God meets with these individuals like Moses to remind the people of Israel about their experience with God. Uh, next slide. And the Hebrew Bible points to a future witness, uh, a chief witness that will give a full testimony of who God is. Um, and it's clear in Isaiah 42, here's my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him and he will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will fully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be crushed until he establishes justice on the earth and the coastlands wait for his teaching. 
Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gave breath to the people upon it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations, to open the eyes of the blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Uh, next slide. And after this chief witness, Jesus, uh, perfectly gave witness to who God is in his life, in his death, and in his res resurrection, that God is ultimately faithful yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He reminds the disciples again of their responsibility to be witnesses, to testify of what they have seen and what they heard and experienced through Jesus to the end of the world. So Jesus does work. Jesus represents God as a chief witness. And then the responsibility of witnesses comes back to us. So in Acts 1, while staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you have been baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many, uh, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he heard this, um, as they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Now, at this point, some of you might be wondering, again, God entrusts people to witness again. <laughs> Didn't Jesus just give a perfect witness of who God is? Um, and if people don't see God when they see Jesus, then when they see the miracles and when they experience his love, what chance does my testimony have, right? If they didn't see God when they saw Jesus, what, what chance does my testimony have of people seeing God? I thought about this question long and hard uh, for the past couple of weeks. Um, what's the wisdom behind using the testimonies of forgetful, broken people to communicate the Hesed of God? What kind of glory comes from my witness? Uh, does my witness even produce glory to God? Next slide. And so as we go through this passage, I want you to ask yourself, what do the people see and what do people remember? Uh, I'm going to read Mark 8, and so this is the primary passage for today. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, asking him for a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly I tell you, no signs will be given to this generation. And he left them and getting into a boat again when uh, he went across to the other side. 14. Now the disciples had forgotten to bring any bread and they had only one loaf with them on the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. They said to one another, It's because we have no bread. And, be <laughs> and becoming aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes and fail to see? Do you have ears and fail to hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves, for the 5,000, five, 5, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you collect? 
they said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you collect? And they said to him, seven. Then he said to them, do you not yet understand? Uh, 22. They came to Bethsaida. Some people brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he put saliva on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, can you see anything? And the man looked up and said, I can see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again and looked intently and his eyes and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Then he sent him away to his home saying, do, do not go into the village. Uh, next slide. So if you've been paying attention uh, to that specific passage, there are three groups of people that are being described in the passage. Um, and each have something different to say about our witness. The Pharisees, the disciples, and this third group that's referred to as some people. So the Pharisees argue and they ask for a sign from heaven. And we wonder to ourselves, right? Do they think that by seeing signs or miracles firsthand that they're going to be convinced? They say, give me something to see, prove me wrong. But the truth is they've already closed their eyes and they closed their hearts and they're not looking for God in anything that Jesus has to offer. They already have a view on God, the world, and how things should be. And they're suffering from this thing called confirmation bias. As a Pharisee, they uphold purity and they're looking for God on their own terms. That is, in their own ability to live up to God's standards of purity. The Pharisees remind us that seeing miracles alone firsthand cannot convince human hearts. Seeing is not believing because seeing miracles does not reveal Jesus is God. Right. Second, the disciples. The disciples see a lack of food. Um, it's alluded in the passage, but two chapters prior to this one, uh, Jesus fed 5,000 and still they're hung up on eating food. Um, these disciples left everything uh, and followed Jesus. They heard him speak. They've seen the miracles. They've experienced the love that Jesus has to offer. So when they ate meals together with Jesus, it didn't occur to them that they were breaking bread with God. And they were still worried about needing food, having seen that Jesus could feed thousands, right? So on the one hand, our daily experiences, our needs and our wants distracts us from recognizing God's presence. On the other hand, we need time to process and reflect on what it is that we've actually witnessed. Witnessing and giving a testimony requires reflection and internal processing so that it becomes transformative to the believer. Um, otherwise, our daily experiences doesn't change, and despite, despite anything that we've, we've encountered. Or, um, we or we decide to compartmentalize our experiences of God and only see God in some things and not others, right? Um, in some parts of our lives and not all parts of our lives. And then, finally, we, we uh, arrive at this last group, this anonymous group called Some People. Um, some people brought a blind man to Jesus and begged him to touch him. And Jesus led him out of the city to heal him and restore his sight. And I wonder, what inspired these people to bring a blind man before Jesus? What, was it because they saw Jesus was powerful, that Jesus was someone capable of healing a blind man? 
did they recognize the work of God in the hands of Jesus? Or was it because they wanted the blind man to experience the person of Jesus? That even if Jesus didn't heal this man, at least he would be shown love and kindness. There's no way of knowing what motivated these people to bringing the blind man before Jesus. But whatever the case may be, some people saw and recognized an opportunity to bring a blind man to Jesus. And then I wonder, what might these people have told the blind man about Jesus? Did they prepare a well-crafted and moving argument? Did they memorize and recite the four points of Christianity? Probably not. Um, but they probably did the best that they could to communicate what they had seen and heard about Jesus. And that was enough. To motivate the blind man to be led to Jesus. I was reflecting on this part of the sermon and I struggled and I still struggle, as you can see. Um, because on the one hand, our witness isn't important because our words carry weight. Our witness matters because the steadfast love of God deserves our attention and our focus. And I don't want my words, my limited understanding of scripture, my experiences, and my broken human condition to get in the way of God's love for you. Because everything is in the service of drawing you near to God. And all we can do is our best to, to communicate this and trust that God is enough. Oof. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, every time, man. Every time. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. Again, uh, next slide. Why is our witness important? So our witness is important for us as much as it is for our neighbor because things go wrong. And I said this earlier. Um, we don't elect witnesses to carry us through peace and joy, but to carry us through pain. Um, because contractual terms are forgotten and broken, because relationships are damaged, because we experience pain and disappointment. When we're not in our right minds and when the people begin to question the validity of something happening, uh, we need witnesses of God's chesed to carry us through pain. The testimony of witness brings us back to reality, to the events and the exchanges and promises that have happened. And it's a reminder for us to see Jesus. And it's in the sharing of good news that we get to re-experience it and participate in the restorative work of leading people back to Jesus. Um, I've used this quote before in the context of church community, but I found it appropriate for today, again. So Bonhoeffer explains it this way, um, but God has put his word into the mouth of men in order that it may be communicated to other men. When one person is struck by the word, he speaks it to others. He has willed that we should seek and find his living word in the witness of a brother in the mouth of men. Therefore, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged. For by himself, he cannot help himself without belying the truth. He needs his brother man as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. 
He needs his brother solely because of Jesus Christ. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. And his own heart is, his own heart is uncertain, his brothers is sure. And that also clarifies the goal of the Christian community, that they meet one another as bringers of the message of salvation. And so I'm going to end by reading Isaiah 43. Um, next slide. You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I am the one who declared and saved the saved and proclaimed, not some strange God among you. You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and I am God. Indeed, since that day I am he. There is no one who can deliver from my hand. I work, and who can hinder it? And we'll have Peace Sam come back up. Let's all stand together. Thank you, Paul. I think the most interesting thing about Acts 1a, the word martus in Greek, if you read it carefully, it's the word martyr in English. The only time throughout the this command to be eyewitnesses to the gospel in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Jesus says, I'm sending you as martyrs. That's the word witness. Meaning, unless there's death, there's no real conviction. Unless you're willing to put your life on the line, no one would believe. You know, if you study ancient antiquity in, in the first century, there were rival gods in the Roman Empire. And all those in the, the Hellenistic sort of environment all called Christians atheists because they didn't believe any of the gods of the pagans. And they would sacrifice all the time. They would bring offering to the Greek gods. But none of them, they all knew sort of in a perfunctory kind of pluralistic society that they wouldn't die necessarily for their gods because it was just like a cultural thing. And when Christians began to die, literally, under persecution, the Romans said, wait a minute, what is this conviction? What is this belief that they're willing to change their behavior? What has gripped these people so much that they keep talking about this hesed, the unfailing love of God, what is that? Because I'm not willing to die for this God. You know, I bow, you know, and I bring some fruit, you know what I'm saying? I want some promotions at that, you know, at my job, climb the Senate level, the federal level. But death was literally what changed the Roman Empire toward, bent toward Christianity. Why we believe in Jesus because of his death on the cross. His conviction, he laid his life. And your witness and my witness is as good as how much blood drips from it. When people see our sacrifice. The problem is of the incongruence. We talked about this last week. Is our witness 
simply words and axiomatically contradictory. And so then the goal of Christian discipleship in the end is becoming a living sacrifice. That incongruence is straightened out and, and there's congruence between words and action. Not just intention, but actions. And Jesus says, you need the Spirit of God to be a martyr, to be a witness. And what I like today about this emphasis on witness, especially what Paul is talking about, was you could be a terrible witness and God could still work. Tell someone next to you, thank God. Right? I mean, if you're a terrible witness, raise your hand. Good. So we're all terrible witnesses because of our the jars of clay, because of the humanity side of us. That's why we need the Spirit of God to fill us with his power and love today. Amen. So will you lift your hands with me in humility? We're going to sing this song as our prayer. And we're going to humbly come before God together. And we're going to ask the Spirit to pour out his power to work in us and through us for the sake of the Hesed of God, the unfailing love of God that's so steadfast and so good to somehow be translated out of us, but only through his power. So let's make this our prayer. See 
So then if God uses a stubborn, disobedient, the most terrible witnesses of all time, Memento and Dory combined, which is someone who has amnesia and someone has short-term memory loss, together at the same time in culmination as an example of scripture, and we don't open our mouth in our lives to be eyewitnesses of Jesus even though the power of the Spirit is available, where does that leave us? That's a question we have to ask. Because if God's going to do the work through us, and God's going to do majority of the work, it's really, in the end of the day, it's, Fear, I want to cast that out today in Jesus' name. It's cowardice and disobedience. I simply don't want to do it. But just like Shema, witnesses, it's not an invitation, it's an imperative to be eyewitnesses of God as believers. So, today as we close, as we pray for the spirit to fill us it's really again the cycle of repentance right i want to admit god i'm afraid i'm uncomfortable and sometimes i enable this behavior in my own life and that's why again we come back to the point the word martus in greek is martyr unless there's death there's no power there's no power on the cross if there's no blood and there's no power in our witness if there's no sacrifice. Will you bow your heads for the benediction? Father, we thank you for 2,000 years. Communities like this been eyewitnesses of Jesus. So today we come to you, God, feeble, weak, afraid. But you tell us that the fruit of being filled with the Spirit is having a sound mind, a disciplined mind, and a heart that does not tremble in fear, but have boldness to declare your power. So, God, we thank you for this grace today. We know when we're not walking in step with you because we're afraid and we resist your power to tell others about your hesed, about your unfailing love. Help us realign today. So may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. All God's people pray. Amen. God bless you.
Go in peace. Hi, guys. <laughs> Hello. Hello, everyone. Um, happy World Nutella Day. And happy almost chopstick, National Chopstick Day, which is tomorrow. But more importantly, happy Lord's Day. Um, my name is Grace, and I'm a member here at 180 Church, and I will be sharing some community news with you. So first, um, we'll talk about tithes and offering. Okay, if you're a member here at 180 Church, we ask that you continue to keep God at your, the center of your finances and tithe faithfully. You can send your offerings via Venmo, Zelle, Chase QuickPay, or PayPal. If you're a visitor here with us today, we're so happy you're here and um, there's no financial obligation to give. But if you'd like to make a donation, you can do so with the methods I just mentioned. Next. Um, so we have all the ways we can um, connect with God and others in this community throughout the week. So we have our Bible reading group on IG at in, um, 180BRG, where you can join us anytime to read the Bible. So uh, we also have a number of other platforms, uh, such as our church's Facebook page, Dr. Sammy's Twitter, our YouTube page, where some of you are watching right now, um, and a few Instagram handles. Another way for us to stay connected with each other during the week is by joining small groups. Small groups are a great place to connect with others and do go deeper into the message. Uh, we have various groups for different stages, so please see the screen. Um, yeah, they meet. We meet throughout the week. <laughs> um, yeah, some are meeting in person and some are meeting on Zoom. So if you're interested, I guess you can talk to me or any of the greeters. In addition to social media platforms and small groups helping us stay connected with each other, we also have books that can help us stay connected with God throughout the week. So you can purchase the following resources for yourself or for other people um, at the 180 Cafe. These include books for devotionals and Dr. Sammy's new book, Holy Haunting, which could be a great resource uh, to share God's heart with those who don't know him yet. And while you're there at the 180 Cafe, checking out all these resources and getting some yummy drinks, um, there are some 180 merch that you guys can check out. Um, we have hats, t-shirts, hoodies um, in various colors and designs. Um, all the purchases mentioned so far, the books, the um, 180 merch um, are based on an honor system. So you can pick up your item or items and pay through the methods you saw on one of the slides before. Next, we have the prayer hotline. Prayer is powerful. Um, the Bible mentions many times that when we pray, God hears our prayer. So if you or anyone in your life needs prayer, gather those people who can pray with or for you. You can share your prayer request by emailing prayer at 180church.tv. Everything you share will be confidential and there will be a team praying for you on the other end. Next, uh, for those of you with the heart to serve, here are a few options for you. So we have the 180 cafe slash bookstore slash the merch store that I mentioned. Um, help us wake up, um, wake each other up with a cup of tea or coffee. Um, 
for those with a heart for kids, there is children's ministry. Um, come and help our littlest members learn about God's love for them. For techies, help us build amazing things online. And we always need more greeters who can help uh, welcome those people coming through the doors with your smile. And I think that's it. Okay. Uh, so those are all of our announcements for today.